Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This is The Roy Green Show podcast. What a rude, crude, nasty, lying U.S. election campaign we're watching. Earlier in the week, Donald Trump told Second Amendment people they could deal with Hillary Clinton if she's elected president of the United States and nominates left-wing judges. Many in the Clinton campaign, or its orbit, interpreted Trump's statement as a direct threat to Clinton. Then on Wednesday, Donald Trump announced that Barack Obama is the founder of ISIS. A statement, uh, well, Donald Trump repeated a number of times. Hillary Clinton, meanwhile, has additional emails surface as well as evidence which seems to indicate individuals who contributed generously to the Clinton Foundation were then granted favorable access to the State Department. (laughs) Quid pro quo. With Hillary Clinton as the Secretary of State, of course. And meanwhile, at a Clinton rally in Orlando, the father of the gay nightclub mass murderer sat just behind the Hillary Clinton um, dais, or, you know, platform, and subsequently told media he'd been invited by the Clinton campaign. And last night in Milwaukee, there was rioting after police shot and killed a, a man who refused to drop a firearm. Is Trump too proactively supporting police? Somebody sent me an email this morning. Trump is too proactively supporting police. All sorts of stories going on. Hillary Clinton kicking police to the curb, had no interest in obtaining campaign support from the largest police union in the United States. I'm joined by uh, Dr. Zudi Jasser. He's, uh, fortunately for us, a fairly regular contributor to this program, very generous with his time, former U.S. Navy lieutenant commander. And um, Zudi is also the author of A Battle for the Soul of Islam and co-founder of the Muslim Reform Movement. You can find him on Twitter, at Dr. Zudi Jasser. Zudi, Thank you for the time. Is this a is this a week like no other in the U.S. election campaign? Let's say in the last eight to ten months, or is it just another week? Well, with this campaign, it, it seems to be just another week. I mean, what a mess! What a mess! I mean, uh, and and I'll tell you, as an American, as a conservative, is this really the best our country can give us? I mean, I used to think politics was because of how tough it was. A meritocracy, but it no longer is that. And while I'd never, I've never voted for a Democrat and never vote for Hillary, I'm certainly not a supporter of Trump. Uh, and many of us have given him chances uh, uh, from the beginning. I never thought that the other 16 candidates would fall to the side, but his scorched earth policy of dealing with them, the juvenile sort of bullyish uh, avoidance of topics, but simply name calling, uh, his inability to be clear. I mean, you mentioned. Even when Hugh Hewitt asked him, do you mean she founded ISIS? Or, and he, he stood by that. And nuance matters. I mean, the founders of ISIS really ideologically are the Saudis and the Qataris. Did Hillary and Obama allow the Qataris and the Saudis to infuse funds and radicalize the Syrian population? Absolutely. But to say that they founded it is just, you know, those nuances take away his credibility, his support of Putin, his support of Russia. Uh, I mean, we saw the Republican platform basically uh, give a, a a nod to what's happening in uh, the Ukraine and others, and it just it's sort of a bizarre shift in that both parties have a candidate have candidates that are not in the interest of American security. I spoke yesterday on the air with Colonel Peter Mansour, the former executive officer, to General David Petraeus during the surge in Iraq, and Colonel Mansour shared that for the first time in his adult life. He's voting for a Democrat as president because he considers Trump too dangerous to the United States. Now, just saying that, Zudi, I know there are people who are ardent Trump supporters who are getting angry just at the notion that somebody would be turning away from Donald Trump. Well, you know, as a conservative, I'd never vote for Hillary or, you know, what she stands for. I do I do agree with him that Trump is dangerous. I mean, if you don't, if you don't take his words at face value and you continue to give him a pass where he didn't know what the nuclear triad was, he wanted to abolish NATO because of financing issues, all these things that uh, um, show a person that is unhinged and really answers every question based on his own effect on his personality and narcissism rather than on humility and American interest. He never used terms like freedom and democracy. I never hear him talking about liberty 
the definition of constitutional requirements of government, he couldn't even identify anything beyond national security. I mean, all these things, I agree with all the national security experts that have come out against Mr. Trump. However, having said that, you know, we can't, you know, populism is not conservative principles, and we can't support someone like Hillary simply by saying, well, the end justifies the means. I do think that Trump would do a generational disservice to the conservative movement while we could recuperate after four years from a Hillary candidacy. But certainly, you know, I think a no vote to leaving the top of the ballot empty or maybe even considering the libertarians or something else may be more moral. Let me give you a quote from C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. He said, sometimes the devil will give you two opposites to choose from, and the moral thing to do is to choose neither. And I think that's sort of where we are right now. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Toby Conflict, former uh, superdelegate for the uh, Democratic Party, 2008. He was a superdelegate supporting um, Don, uh, you know, Donald Trump. 2008, it was Barack Obama. And in 2016, Toby, uh, you liked Senator Sanders. That's true. Uh, and I'm rather amused by that uh, political science professor who thinks it's 86% chance of... 87, Toby. 87%. My goodness, is he going to be wrong? Well, let me ask you this. Did, did, um, did Hillary Clinton steal the nomination from Bernie Sanders? And I ask that because it's a relevant question that could come into play on November the 8th if a significant number of Bernie supporters decide that they are angry enough that they will vote in spite of Hillary and for Donald. Uh, Roy, uh, there, there will be some. Bernie supporters who feel that way. I, I don't believe it'll be a large percentage. And I believe at this point, barring some cataclysmic event, uh, the presidential election is essentially over. Uh, I think uh, that uh, Hillary is going to win this and is going to win it big, in my opinion. But people ought to focus not on the presidential election. If I were a Republican, I would say, focus on your senators. If you want to stop Hillary, make sure that the Senate remains Republican. I'm not advising the Republicans, but that's what they really ought to do, because they're going to lose the presidency, and if they're not careful, they're going to lose the Senate. I have this funny feeling that a fellow by the name of Julian Assange is going to unload another cache of emails that will be far more damaging than anything that we've seen yet, Toby. It's just a gut feeling. He's just around too much right now. Well, he, he is around too much, but uh, I think Hillary's going to win whatever he releases. And uh, what's really important, and I hope you don't mind my saying this every time I'm on this show, but every American ought to at least register to vote. And you can do that at votefromabroad.org, which will, it's not a Democratic site, although the Democrats built it. It's nonpartisan, and people register, and the Democrats do not keep your information. And it's, there's about a million Americans in this country who will have the right to vote on November the 8th. So votefromabroad.org is the That's website right. where you can register to vote. Look, and, Toby... And they ought to vote for their senators, too, and their congressmen. Yeah, I'm not going to keep you too, too long, because I know you're busy, and I appreciate you taking the time on a Sunday afternoon. But we have, in Hillary Clinton, you have a deeply flawed candidate. We know she's lying. We know she's lying. She lies about lying. Uh, <laughs> we, have, we have the email. <laughs> it's true. We have... That's the only true statement that I just made in reference to Hillary Clinton. We have the email mess, and now we have the... I think it's more than just talk about if you made a significant financial contribution to the Clinton Foundation, you received favorable treatment from the Secretary of State when Hillary Clinton was the Secretary of State. None of that is going to play well. And if there's an email dump by Assange, don't know, Toby. Yes, if there's an email dump by Assange, it will hurt Hillary, but it won't hurt her enough to change the outcome of the election. So she'll be the next president of the United States. Yes, she will. No question. Mr. Not in my mind. Okay, votefromabroad.org is where American listeners who, uh, who want to vote in the U.S. election on November the 8th can go and register and register not only for president, to vote for president, but also for 
Congress and the Senate, which is, well, it's the same thing, isn't it? Two different houses, so it's all Congress. Toby, thank you. Always good talking to you. And um, next time I see Bernie, I'll tell him you said hello. Well, please do. Thanks. All the best. Toby Condliffe. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. We spoke with uh, Allison Azure last Saturday and then again on Sunday briefly. And uh, you heard the emotion in Allison's voice as we talked about her children and we talked about the prime minister of this country and the commitment that he made to Allison as Mr. Trudeau stood in his office with Allison Azure, put his arms around her and said he would do whatever was necessary, whatever he could to get her children back. And what has the prime minister done? Well, his government has stepped in the way. And we talked to Allison about that, and I I have to give credit here to a small town newspaper in British Columbia, the Comox Valley Record, which ran a story that the rest of the uh, national media didn't, didn't run, didn't get, should have gotten. And I found this out through uh, Jamie Allerton, who's a friend of Allison's, and uh, he's the principal with Canaptus.ca. It's a public relations firm, and Jamie uh, is working with Allison, and he's in touch with me, and Allison's in touch with me as well. And so I received this, um, I received this email from, from Jamie. Minister Dion's, Minister Dion, uh, that would be the Stefan Dion of Global Affairs Canada, Minister Dion's office shirked any responsibility for getting Allison's children back, stating, quote, the decision to enforce an Interpol notice, including the decision to detain or extradite, rests with the host government, Iran. And Jamie continues, can you imagine if during the FAMI case, the previous government had said, it's up to the Egyptian courts and government to live up to their international obligations and wipe their hands of it. The liberals would have roared with anger because saying such a thing is outrageous. It would have been outrageous, has Stephen Harper said it. It's outrageous for the Trudeau government to say it. And the it is, it's up to Iran. It's up to Iran. Interpol, as Allison told us, Interpol issued the red alert, red warning. The Iranians had uh, Saran Azar, arrested him, were ready to act, And the Canadian government not only didn't do anything, the Canadian government got in the way. Allison, it's good to talk to you again. One of these days, we're going to be talking and your kids are going to be with you. That's going to be great. But until that time, Roy, I don't know what I would do without you and without your listeners' support. It means so much to me. You know, the people of this country are with you. The people of of Canada care about you. And what Mr. Trudeau and his government are doing are digging themselves deeper and deeper and deeper hole by not taking the action they could so easily take and take the steps they could so easily take, a step, um, the steps they could take. When people say, well, we don't have a treaty with Iran, well, what's the prime minister going to do? If Mr. Trudeau got up and said, I called the president of Iran and I said, we want these Canadian kids home or let's at least negotiate to get these Canadian kids home, then Canadians would be as happy with Mr. Trudeau as British citizens are with their new prime minister, who did exactly that, called the president of Iran and said, I want to negotiate to get our British citizens home. Fair statement, Alison? It absolutely is. It's entirely within the jurisdiction of Prime Minister Trudeau to pick up the phone and call President Rouhani of Iran. Canada does not need diplomatic relations to do that. It seems like such an obvious thing for the prime minister of this country to be doing to show that he meant what he said, that this case of my children was the highest priority of his government. Things have happened over the last six days since we last spoke involving Global Affairs Canada, involving your member of parliament, involving a spokes voice 
for um, for Global Affairs Canada, who um, used terms like um, political grandstanding uh, when it involves getting your kids back. Share with us, share with my listeners across Canada, please. And we have listeners who listen to us online outside of our national borders. Share with us what's gone on in the last six days, Alison. Well, you know, as it became more and more clear that senior government officials were blocking RCMP from doing their job, that senior government officials weren't following the court proceedings uh, in Iran, um, you know, we're spending two weeks to get some Farsi, like Persian documents translated. So balls were being dropped all over the place. Sand was being thrown into the wheels all over the place. My member of parliament, Gore Johns, has been tenacious in his mature, nonpartisan support for me and support for my children. And it seems that global affairs thought it was a good opportunity for them to throw his support into disrepute by saying he was politically grandstanding when all he was trying to do was to advocate for five citizens, five constituents, my children, and me. And it seemed that if anybody was trying to politically grandstand, it certainly was not my member of parliament. Alison, I don't even know why Stefan Dion is involved. I don't even know why Global Affairs Canada is involved. It was the Prime Minister personally who stood with you, who promised you personally, as a father, as a Prime Minister, he promised you personally that he would take action, that your children's file would be on his desk, not on Stefan Dion's desk, not on a mid-level bureaucrat's desk, on his desk, on the prime minister's desk. It is Justin Trudeau's responsibility to follow up on the commitment he made to you. It's not Justin Trudeau's even right to hand this off to his minister. He made the commitment. He has the, uh, the, the obligation to step up and to make the phone call to the president of Iran as the new British prime minister made to the president of Iran on behalf of British Iranian dual citizens. The Prime Minister of Canada made you the promise. It's on, it's, it's, it's on him. It's on his desk. It's not Stefan Dion. I couldn't agree more. And, and this is why I'm so bravely disappointed. Tomorrow is one year since my children were taken illegally into a war zone. By the time Justin Trudeau found his seat after the election, his government knew exactly where my children were. For five months, they knew my children were in a war zone when bombs were dropping, and they couldn't come up with a plan. Sarin then moved the children illegally into Iran, and the government has known where they've been. I'm consistently multiple steps ahead of them, and I'm so frustrated and exhausted by having to try and pull them along when it's clear they're digging in their heels and they're trying to run in the opposite direction. It doesn't make any sense. They have the fog machine going on in Ottawa. They're creating smoke and fog. Here's the, uh, here's the statement made by the spokesvoice from Global Affairs Canada. The Government of Canada's goal, and this is again from the uh, Comox Valley record, the Government of Canada's goal is, and I believe they communicated with the, with the newspaper, the Government of Canada's goal is, and will always be, the safe return of the Azure children to Canada, said Chantal Gagnon, press secretary for the Office of the Minister of Foreign Affairs or Global Affairs, in an email address to editor Terry Farrell, received Tuesday morning, quote, Global Affairs Canada's decisions and advice always consider the specifics of the given context to ensure the safety and well-being of all Canadians in any situation. What does that mean, Allison? What does that What does that gobbledygook mean? That's exactly it. I I spent the last year really thinking that if only I 
could properly put the words together. If, if only I just had more clarity in, in, in hearing these, these grand words and beautifully constructed sentences. My head spins when I speak with global affairs, when I try and follow what they write in their statements. If they would just, if they would just accept that this was a commitment made by Prime Minister Trudeau to me and to my children, the Prime Minister now has to accept responsibility and to make good on his word. He has to show the leadership within the different departments, justice, global affairs, public safety, he has to lead a coordinated effort to if get we can't, if my we, children back home. Yeah. If we can't trust the prime minister to keep his word to a mother of four Canadian kids, what can we trust him to keep his word on? They go on, the government goes on with its statement to the newspaper. Here's the quote. The government of Canada has been actively engaged on the Azar children case since it first began and will continue to be so. So indifferent, so absolutely un, unemotional, such just another case. It's the case. Then they say officials in Ottawa and in six missions abroad have spent hundreds of hours working to find a resolution to the, this very complex family case. Here's how complex it is, Justin. Pick up the phone. Call the guy in Tehran. Tell him what you told Allison. Tell him you want the kids back. Remind them about Interpol. You won't have to because the Iranians were aware. They reminded Canada. So just do what you're supposed to do, what you promised to do. Or, you know, somebody said years ago, lead, follow, or get the hell out of the way. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Last Sunday, we were talking about the responsibility we as men have to protect our wives our sisters, our girlfriends, our daughters, our mothers, if they are victims of bullying and or sexual harassment and abuse, what can we do? What are the options we have? In some cases, we have many options. In other cases, we have fewer options. But what, are our, what, what do we need to do? What can we do? So we were talking about this. That's some good calls. And then I had a call from a man who talked about his wife. He's a Calgary police officer. She's been a Calgary police officer, Calgary police service officer, he told us, for 14 years. And she's on sick leave. He told us that as well. And uh, he told us why. And then he told us something else. And that something else he told us is that he, too, is a police officer, and he, too, is a police officer with the Calgary Police Service. So I've been in touch with um, with Tim, and he's the police officer, and his wife, Amy. And I'll, I'm always honest with you. These are not their actual names, but it's names that we're, we've decided that they're going to use. I think it's a good idea they do that. So they uh, they joined me on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. These are a husband and wife, man and woman, who put on the uniform, put on the badge, go out into the night, and while we lock our doors and go to bed, they make sure that we sleep soundly. They protect us. So, uh, Amy, it's good to speak with you. Thank you, Roy. Thank you for what you do for us. And Tim, it's good to speak with you, sir, again. You too, Roy. Amy, can you tell us, please, what, what is your health situation right now? Well, Roy, currently I am suffering from severe stress and anxiety. Uh, it has been so bad that when I drive by my place of work, I have a panic attack. If I see someone from work, I'm riddled with anxiety. 
Uh, the stress has been so damaging. I started suffering from back and neck pain. I was seeing my chiropractor two or three times a week because every time I worked out, I would injure myself. And it wasn't until I saw my doctor that I found out the stress was slowly eating away at my body. I had tremors in my face and I actually thought I had Bell's palsy because of the constant twitching and numbness. Um, my emotions have ranged from extreme anger and wanting to physically harm those who have wronged me to crying at the simplest thing. I am no longer that person who can control how I feel, but I'm instead at the mercy of how the people in the Calgary Police Service have made me feel. This situation has made me become suspicious and paranoid, believing the Calgary Police Service are intercepting emails, phone calls, I find that I have to meet people in surreptitious places, especially those who are suffering like me, because I'm afraid that the service is gonna find out that we're talking. I am continually filled with fear of retaliation, not only for me, but for Tim as well, because I feel that speaking on your show even, a Calgary Police Service may come after me. You have to be, to do the job you do, to do it effectively, to do it um, in the manner that it needs to be done, you have to be at your emotional and physical best, not four days out of five or eight days out of ten, but ten days out of ten, every single time out. You have to be at your best. So you're explaining to us what it is you're struggling with now. What caused you to be in this mood, and what caused the anxiety? What sorts of things happened to you? Well, I'll give you a bit of background. I joined the job when I was very young and naive. Um, there was a situation when I first joined the street. I was asked by a senior male officer if I was a slut, a bitch, or lesbian. I was so embarrassed by the question and shocked. And then I was later asked by another, or told by another male officer that he thought I looked like I would be fun to have sex with. I did nothing about these because I didn't want to draw more attention to myself. Um, although there were always derogatory comments being made to me, I learned to ignore them and brush them off and try and laugh about it. Uh, but let me tell you, though, Roy, policing wasn't always bad. I, I did have good times and I loved working the street. But I found when I met Tim and we decided to have kids, that's when I soon realized that <clears throat> I was a burden to the police. Not only did I have to search for a place to work while on maternity leave, I found working jobs share part-time I was looked down upon. I was overlooked for courses, acting time as a supervisor. I had to continually defend my position as a police officer when people would say things like, it must be nice to work whenever you want you are never here. I even forgot you worked here. I found I was no longer fitting into the masculine culture of the police because I was a mom. And that was when I started to be targeted. I was told at times I was a lone wolf. I wasn't a team player. I was ostracized because I didn't follow the status quo. I was told by high, in meetings of high-ranking members that I couldn't be trusted. It was continually difficult for me because I did not know, want how I was treated to reflect on Tim. I was afraid when I spoke out against policies and practices with Calgary that Tim's chance for specialty positions or future promotions would be impacted. And I quickly realized that those who I thought were my friends and supporters wouldn't stand up for me. Uh, they instead blamed me uh, for not letting go of the situation. And I now realize many were fearful themselves for standing by me because they thought their positions would be in jeopardy or opportunities for promotion would be impacted. And it, that really hurt me because it made me realize that those people in those positions of power who could have done the most to help me really left me high and dry. And I can't really get into details of specific stuff, Roy, because it probably would identify me. I understand that. And what you're, what you're sharing with us, Amy, is what I've heard from other police officers, from other services, 
who are going through the same situation or similar situations to the one you're experiencing. It seems to be across the board, or at least across the board with the services we found out about. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Tim, when you listen to Amy speak about how this has all impacted on her, and I listened to you last Sunday when, when you called, I heard the emotion in your voice. When you, when you start the day with your wife, it's the first thing you think about, and how does this impact on you on the job, knowing that you might run into these very same people who are causing these issues for your wife? Well, I think that it, it adds a lot of stress to us as a family, as well as, as to me, waking up and thinking about different confrontations. Um, I don't really hold my emotions that well. Usually people who have figured out that I'm not very happy with them. So, I mean, I, I think I think trying to support Jen through, support Amy through this has uh, added a lot of stress to my family. Um, we've had, we would end up arguing more often. Um, and the way that we would deal with each other, uh, the people at work, knowing that anytime I go to headquarters, I could run into them, would, would cause me slight stress going in, um, and then running through different scenarios of confrontations. You know, it's interesting you say that, because <clears throat> well, I've heard this as well from women who've said, who've been, or have been, or still are police officers, who said they 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 have difficulty speaking about uh, what's happening to them, and one of the issues is they don't feel comfortable telling the people who are closest to them, the people they love the most, because it could affect their loved ones on the job. And you're not the first husband, wife, police couple I've spoken to. It's Amy. I've heard it. I've heard women say I, I have difficulty speaking to my husband about it because. He's a police officer, and I don't want to cause him additional emotional turmoil. Yeah, that's absolutely true, and I think that's why so many female officers tend to feel that the burden falls on them because a lot of times their husbands are the ones who, unfortunately as it is, are the successes in the job because we choose to stay home and take care of the kids and stuff. So we don't want to make it more difficult for husbands as well. Okay, so let me ask you this. And, you know, the clock always gets us. And we're, we have about two and a half minutes here. We've, we have a lot more to talk about. And I'm sure we'll be talking again in the future. But uh, every police service has an association, has a police association. It's the union that's supposed to step up, stand up for you. When, if senior officers don't, uh, how's that working out with the uh, with the association? They fight for you guys, or, or or not so much. Fair question to ask you. Yeah, I think they try their best to fight, and I know that the Calgary Police has processes in place to try and help internally. Like um, they have an Office of Inclusion and Respect Matters program that's supposed to help with internal issues such as bullying and harassment. But the problem is it's run by people who are internal to the service, so there's no external oversight. So either way, they're speaking for the Calgary Police Service, not for the members specifically. And our associations try their best, but sometimes their hands are tied as well as to how far they can take matters based on our contracts and stuff. Okay, I'm going to have one uh, one question, time for one question to ask you, and I'll ask you both to deal with it from a different perspective. Amy, what would allow you to return to work? What has to happen for you to be comfortable returning to work? And, Tim, how would you feel about uh, Amy returning to work? Would you worry? Let's start with, uh, let me start with you, Amy. What What has to change? Well, the only way I could go back is if the culture of the Calgary Police changed and those in positions of power who are bullies and lack leadership skills are either removed or offered appropriate tra- training. 
And, I mean, really that comes down to uh, so much, but that's really what it comes down to is that we need better leaders, stronger leaders. And, um, Tim, what about it? What would, um, how would you feel about Amy returning Returning to work, um, you know, putting on the uniform and putting on the badge and, and carrying a gun again. Well, I don't, I don't think I would have any worries with Amy carrying a gun again. Um, I would worry about how she would be treated by the upper management. So much has happened now that I think that she would continue to be targeted. And in society and as a husband, your job is to protect your family. Yeah. And sometimes when, when, Amy goes to work, it's, you feel somewhat powerless because how are you supposed to protect them yeah. when, they're, when they're there? And we they, have to. I shouldn't have to protect. No, you shouldn't have to, and we're going to have to stop it there, but we will pick it up on, on another day, and I knew we would run out of time, but a lot has been said, and I thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Roy. Thanks, Roy. And stay in touch. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. So, as you know, and and this all began in 2011, my conversations with women police officers, and it began uh, with the RCMP, and it began with a story that ran in in the Globe and Mail. There had been some stories reported that uh, there was sexual harassment going on within the RCMP and that uh, women officers were complaining about about sexual harassment. And then the uh, we started to put some names to the stories. And the first name that we became, I think, familiar with nationally was the name of Corporal Catherine Galliford. And she's been on this program quite recently. And uh, when she first began a lawsuit and first started to publicly speak about what she encountered... There are some questions about, well, maybe she's a troublemaker. Maybe she has mental health issues. And this and that and the other was floated out there. You know what was going to happen. But eventually, the RCMP settled with Corporal Galliford so much for mental health issues. They settled out of, out of court. There are more than 500 women who have class action suits going now, underway now. More than 500 women. I've also heard from men male officers who over the last number of years have sent me emails and generally they've begun with or ended with please don't mention my name the commissioner of the RCMP commissioner Bob Paulson in the 2011 I'm almost sure it was 2011 article that the uh, Globe and Mail wrote the interview that he gave the Globe and Mail the commissioner essentially said, if we don't get this under control, then this could be the end of the RCMP. This is the commissioner of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, that iconic brand that is all about Canada, telling one media organization this could be the end of the RCMP. And he said, read the uh, read the interview, this can't continue, this has to... This has to stop. And so I felt, and you know this because I've shared this with you, I felt that it would be appropriate if if we invited the commission to come on this program and speak to it. Because we were talking at that point, we were speaking with RCMP women officers. Sherry Podalchuk was, I think, the first officer I spoke with. Her book is Women Not Wanted. You have to read the book. And you can find Sherry on um, on YouTube. She's a powerful speaker. We'll have to get her back on the show. And she was the first person I spoke with. I spoke with on the, on the show in 2011. So we did what the, you know, contacted the RCMP uh, commissioner's office and media people, and we requested the interview. You know by now, most of you know, I've told the story. We did what they asked us to do, sent an, um, an application in, if you will, or a request, not an application, a request, felt like an application, a request for an interview with the Commissioner Paulson. I got an email back saying, well, what questions do you plan to ask him? What? You want to know what questions I'm going to ask? 
Well, you know what the issue is, so you could probably figure out the questions. But okay, I don't normally do this. I'll provide you with the with the questions. I sent in the questions, and then a couple of days later, I got an email saying, nope. I think it was one sentence, but it could have just been nope. And then we did, we tried again a couple of months ago, and it was to send again a nope. And then I was sent a story that, um, a news story from 1986, January 22nd, 1986. I can't tell what publication it was, but it says Ottawa. Allegations that female Mounties suffer sexual harassment must be reviewed by an independent body, not by an RCMP officer who might try to whitewash the issue, Liberal MPs demanded Tuesday. John Nunziata, MP for the Toronto riding of York Southwestern, told Solicitor General Perrin Beattie that an internal investigation by RCMP Commissioner Robert Simmons is not good enough. Quote, Will the Solicitor General not agree that an independent investigation into the serious allegations is necessary in order to avoid the possibility of a whitewash and a cover-up? End of quote, he asked in the Commons. Beattie sloughed off the demand, saying he has confidence in the Commissioner's integrity and his ability to assess recent reports of sexual harassment and rampant sexism within the force. Quote, I can certainly give the undertaking that in this instance in which a member of the force comes forward with an allegation of sexual harassment, it will be fully investigated, and if it's found to be substantiated, then action certainly will be taken. End of quote. Right. Action will be taken probably against the person who came forward with the allegation. I'm only guessing because I can't talk to the commissioner because he won't talk to me. But that was 1986. How much has changed? Well, today I'm going to talk to a male 28-year veteran of the RCMP. He's retired, but 28 years as a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, who is also the media relations director for the Mounted Police Professional Association, the union for RCMP members. Rob Creaser does not dispute... I want to be careful what I say, and I'll ask Rob to respond to this, but he does not dispute that sexual harassment and bullying happen in the RCMP. In fact, he saw it while he was a police officer. Rob Creaser blames the situation on RCMP Commissioner Bob Paulson and senior officers who turn a blind eye to the toxic workplace the RCMP has become. He argues the RCMP needs an accredited association to assure transparency and accountability he also calls for collective bargaining for the RCMP without the right to strike. So what's going on within the RCMP from the perspective of the Mounted Police Professional Association? Rob Creaser, Rob, thank you for taking the time. Have I properly described your feelings and your assessment of the situation? You, you have partially, Roy, but I think it goes beyond the management of the RCMP. I, I think we need to look to our politicians uh, as well. Uh, as you so rightly just pointed out, 30 years ago, uh, there was uh, a call for independent investigation of sexual harassment claims, and politicians didn't want to go there. They, they wanted to leave it in-house, and we've, I think we've had 30 years of experience to say that leaving things in-house within the RCMP uh, is a recipe for disaster. So uh, sexual harassment of female members and civilian employees is taking place, and harassment is also taking place of male RCMP members. Fair statement? Fair statement. What types of bullying and harassment did you witness and do you know is going on? Well, um, they, there's legislation that prohibits RCMP members from talking about their workplace to people like yourself. And, and That's and, handy. Uh, hey, Rob, that's handy, isn't it? Well, and it continues, Roy. I mean, they just brought in this new RCMP Enhancing Accountability Act. The Conservatives brought that in. And rather than take out a section that would actually penalize RCMP members for coming forward and talking to the most important stakeholder in their service, and that's the public, uh, rather than being able to go to them and say, you know, holy smokes, this is, this is not fun being a Mountie, um, 
they're prohibited from doing so, and they face discipline up to and including dismissal for doing that. Is so, it, so, so if you can't, if you, if we can't speak to specifics, is it acceptable? Is it okay to say? Would you be able to answer this? Is there enough going on to describe the RCMP as a toxic workplace? Absolutely, there is. Absolutely, there is, and yet. Uh, this government, the Trudeau government, uh, had a chance to um, bring forward legislation that would have allowed, for the first time in history, uh, RCMP members to have meaningful say into their workplace environment in terms of issues like discipline, harassment, staffing levels, which is huge. And uh, Bill C-7 that they put through the House of Commons um, would have excluded those things at the bargaining table. Rob, I, the, the, the highest compliment I can pay you just arrived via email from one of the women, I'm not going to name her, from one of the women I've spoken to on a number of occasions on this program about the toxic workplace the police services are to them, to the women, and she assesses you in two words, honest man. That's all it says. Honest man. Well, that is a huge compliment. That is a huge compliment. So let's talk about why it is the association wants to get done what you want to get done. You talked about how frontline officers would have, if the appropriate measures were in place, if the appropriate regulations and options were in place, that were supported by the government and supported by the leadership within the RCMP, things would change for the better. What are we talking about? Well, I think we're talking about a collective agreement. Uh, I've I spoke to you off air, Roy, and I told you that there's, I believe, about 227 police agencies in Canada, and 226 of them have the right to collective bargain, which is, it spells out a contract that deals with uh, things like uh, behaviors in the workplace. And it says this is acceptable and this isn't. And if there's unacceptable behavior, then there's consequences, regardless of where you sit in the structure of that police agency. So there's a balance of power there. Now, the RCMP is that one agency that doesn't have a collective agreement. And they have these, these victims that you talk about, the 500 women, and trust me, there's a lot more, um, had to take on the RCMP organization by themselves. They had no association to go to. They still have no association to go to because there hasn't been a certified bargaining agent chosen for members of the RCMP yet. So what we're dealing with is, and I've listened to some of your previous shows where you had uh, female firefighters and uh, Calgary Police Service detective on, they at least could go to their association to um, help them uh, handle this, what was going on for them. Now, not everybody was pleased with uh, the results. Uh, I remember listening to the Toronto uh, fire firefighter uh, woman and she wasn't necessarily pleased with the services that she got but she had somebody to go to female members in the rcmp have had nobody to go to and in fact i think that's the the title of janet merlot's book no one no one to tell um in so it, it's it's a huge concern in the rcmp and what we're seeing is the people that they are telling about what's happened to them in the RCMP workplace are judges in courtrooms. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. We have uh, four minutes left, Rob. They're yours. Please, uh, I'm sure I've left out things that need to be asked and said, so I'd like you to just take those four minutes and, and do with them as you wish. Roy, there has to be some change as to how our leadership is taken or, or chosen. I, I, I think we've had a series of very poor leaders in the RCMP. In fact, I think the last a good leader we had was probably when I joined the force in the early 80s. 
I don't think a prime minister um, who picks uh, a leader of a national police force picks it necessarily for the right reasons. Um, I'd like to see a board of, say, police chiefs across Canada choose our, our leader. And I would also like that leader to report to Parliament, not the ruling party of the day. There's no way that uh, Bob Paulson should be in Ralph Goodale's shop. He should have the status of the Auditor General of Canada and report to parliamentarians um, as a whole, not to the ruling party of the day. Boy, that makes sense. Does it, doesn't it? But yeah. do you think it'll ever happen? Uh, the politicians want to keep their their tabs on uh, on the leadership of the RCMP. And Bob Paulson is actually more of a leader in terms of reporting to his political masters than he is the, the people that he's actually being chosen to lead. And that has existed for years. Um, we need people to advocate for us at the top. And um, I'm not seeing that, you know, and, and nor are you. Like, uh, what a perfect opportunity to talk about the RCMP and some of the challenges than to appear on a radio show. And you can't get him to, to show, and I doubt very, very much whether you would have got William Elliott or uh, Norman Inkster or um, any other, Zach Rodelli, no way he would, he would come on a radio show and, be, um, and, and talk to the people of this country about the organization he's being tasked with to lead. Well, so you know what that speaks of. That speaks of a fear of the questions that are going to be asked because... Uh, the only the only conclusion I can draw is there's a fear of the questions because you know that you don't have the answers. Well, and I, they are relevant, and they are relevant questions that deserve and must be answered. But they don't have the answers, or if they have the answers, they're the wrong answers. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I agree, Roy. I, but I mean, we in the Supreme Court of Canada case, and I'll just give you an example. It was two uh, associations, one in Ontario and one in B.C., that took the case to the Supreme Court. Um, lined up on the other side of the table against us was the Attorney General of Canada, the Attorney General of B.C., the Attorney General of Alberta, the Attorney General of pretty much every province, not every, every province. All the politicians did not want members of the RCMP to have the same rights as every other police officer in Canada. You know what? I Why? was about to say to you, you were sent a very strong message right then and there. The message was unmistakable. When every attorney general for every province and federally was there, facing you down, staring you down, this was, this was uh, high noon at the OK Corral, and, and you didn't have a chance. And that... And, and, no politician wanted this, Roy, and the politicians today still don't want it, no. despite what the Supreme Court of Canada has directed them to do. I hear you. Rob, I have to tell you this, and we're out of time, but I have to tell you this. I'm glad you got in touch with me. I'm glad we've had this conversation. It matters to me and to you, I'm sure, that we've heard from women who have expressed their great grave concern and shared their experiences as difficult as, horrifically difficult for them as that was. And we'll talk again. Thank you so much for the time, Rob. Thank you for having me, Roy. The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML.